0: Raise your hand if you know the shortest verse in the Bible by heart. Okay, prove it. And? You don't know where that's found? Hmm. What? Yeah. Yeah. Um, As a child, my husband grew up in a southern church where children had to stand in the front, and Easter was notable for this, in their Sunday best, and they had to recite a verse that they had memorized. And Robert was always ready. Jesus wept, John 11:35. 35. Isn't that how kids say their memory verses? He was ready, two words, three syllables. It may be short, but it's packed with meaning. You don't choose when you cry unless they're alligator tears. We're not talking about those today. But you don't choose the moment when tears come and they're often inconvenient unless you happen to be home alone. Kids cry all the time. And when I see a child crying, I feel like telling them, just go ahead, let it all out. Sometimes you just have to cry. I feel you. Have you ever cried not knowing what you were crying about? Have you ever cried while driving a car that's dangerous? Have you ever cried during an argument that you feel passionate about, and then you get angry that you're crying and you're trying to express yourself, but then you cry more, that makes you cry even more? That's the pits. Have you ever cried at work? That's a terrible feeling. Have you ever cried from the pulpit, the worst? the worst we cry from grief we cry from frustration and anger we cry from emotion we cry for happiness we cry when we're overwhelmed we cry over injustice and unfairness and pain we cry for release humans cry and Jesus cried, more than once I'm sure but the time we are told about it is in John chapter 11 We're in a sermon series entitled, My Life Verse, and today we come to Deborah Hunt. Raise your hand, Deborah, right there. I told her I wouldn't put her in front of people, but she didn't know I was going to focus, focus on her. Deborah said, my grandmother's favorite verse was, Jesus wept. Every time we ate or said a prayer, my grandmother repeated that verse. And I'll talk a little bit more about Deborah's grandmother a little later. But we should know that this verse is embedded in a powerful chapter in the Gospel of John, where Jesus' identity as the Messiah is brought all the way out into the open. And as a direct result of what Jesus does here, the authorities get serious about killing him. We start at the beginning of Chapter 11. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. You know that Mary, you know the Mary that anointed Jesus' feet with perfume and then wiped, wiped his feet with her. That's the Mary, and that's the brother Lazarus, who was gravely ill. The author wants you to know which Mary it was. There are a lot of them in Jesus' life. So he takes chapter, verse 2 to talk about who she was. Verse 3, so the sisters sent a message to Jesus, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And I, am, I just love this designation, the way Lazarus' relationship to Jesus was described as the one whom Jesus loves. And isn't this how we pray for each other? We have to remind ourselves that, and we have to remind Jesus that we are his beloved. And that relationship gives us the assurance that we can ask God for everything we need. Verse 4, but when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Rather, it is for God's glory so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Accordingly, and now notice this, although Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, after having heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And at this point, if we're reading this for the very first time, we would be puzzled. I know the disciples had a permanent, like, wrinkle line right here in their forehead when they're trying to figure out what is Jesus doing and what is he saying? What does he mean? In this verse, we see the struggle with God over his timing, over an answer to prayer that we need right now. Mary and Martha said, my brother is sick, come fast. And Jesus lingers two days, knowing this information, We pray, we ask, we are feeling desperate in prayer. We send word to Jesus that we need a speedy answer, that we're in an urgent situation, and none comes in our timing. It's a very dramatic, dramatic uh, way of seeing what happens behind the scenes. We get to see what Jesus is really up to. That's not available to us to see what Jesus is up to in our lives. But we see what happens behind the scenes. And so what we see clearly is that even though we may be tempted to question it, Jesus' love is never in doubt. Lazarus was referred to as the one whom Jesus loved, and then It says, though Jesus loved Mary and her sister and Lazarus. So all of them are referred to as Jesus' beloved friends. And we see that Jesus' love is never in doubt. Even when the answer to our prayer is no, or wait, or wait some more, Jesus is actively responding to our every prayer. And that love surrounds, that Jesus' love threads through every prayer prayer that we make and every answer to prayer that he gives even the ones that we may not appreciate in the moment and if we can just lean into that foundation of the love of jesus even when we don't understand it it changes our pain jesus love changes our pain it doesn't change the physical pain and it doesn't maybe change the fact that we have to endure it but jesus love even though it doesn't take that pain away, supports us through the journey of pain. And just imagine people who don't have Jesus to support them with his love when they go through a painful journey. And we also learn that Jesus has bigger purposes in mind than we can see or even imagine. Jesus' driving purpose is always to glorify God. And sometimes a quick yes answer to prayer doesn't end up glorifying God at all. But Jesus clearly conveys to his disciples that his overriding purpose was to glorify God. Okay, verse 7. After having heard, okay, so then he heard Lazarus was ill. He stayed two days longer, verse 7. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, are you out of your mind, Jesus? Don't you know how dangerous it is down there? I know that's what they really said, but the writer just cleaned it up a little bit. for for scripture. Rabbi, the Jews were just now trying to stone you and you are going there again? Now listen to how Jesus answers their very valid concerns. Verse 9, Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Those who walk during the day do not stumble because they see the light of this world, but those who walk at night stumble because the light is not in them. Oh, well, why didn't you just say that the first time? It makes so much sense. Not really doesn't really make sense. I'm not going to unpack that, but notice that his answer totally sidesteps their concern, which is the danger that they're going to be in if they go to Judea. Verse 11, after saying this, he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will be all right. All the more reason not to go into danger. Lazarus is just taking a nap. Why you got to go to awake him up from his nap? Verse 13, Jesus, however, had not been speaking about his death, but they thought that he was, had been speaking about his death, but they thought he was merely referring to sleep. Then Jesus said, told them plainly, finally, plainly, finally, Lazarus is dead. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Thomas, who was the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. This is doubting Thomas, as we sometimes call him, and he makes such a charged uh, statement of loyalty here, like maybe the hairs on his arm are rising, like I'm going to keep following Jesus even when it's scary. And he led all the disciples in this, we're just going to go there together. What a statement of faith. Verse 17, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. Now now it's going to be Mary's turn for her confession of faith. When Martha, it's going to be Martha's turn. Did I say Martha? No, I said Martha because it's going to be Martha. Okay, it's going to be Martha's turn. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went and met him, and Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But, listen to this, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. What did she mean by that? What was she implying? We see her on the threshold of powerful faith in Jesus, taking one big, bold step forward. Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. What? Mm. Did he really say that? Imagine Jill Zobris saying that to us. I am the resurrection and the life. Imagine an ordinary, a person saying that. That's a staggering thing to say. Those who believe in me even though they die will live, and everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? These two verses, verse 25 and 26, are the most important ones in this chapter. It's important to us as we face death. Those who believe in Jesus even though they die will live. Physical death has no power over believers in Jesus. Our future, our eternal future is determined by our faith in Jesus and not by physical death. It's important to us also in our living, not just when we face death, but when we face life, another day of life. Jesus is not only sovereign over the future, but he's sovereign over our present life. Believe that Jesus is the resurrection, and the life impacts our present and our future life. Do you believe this? The way the gospel is written, uh, John meant to ask every reader, do you believe this? That's supposed to go directly to us who read this. Because unless we believe in Jesus and his word, his offer of transformed life has no effect, no benefit for us. Verse 27, Martha said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. And this confession of Jesus is on the level of Peter's confession of Jesus. When she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary and told her privately, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when Mary heard it, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come to the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary get up quickly and go out. They followed her because they thought that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Mary came to Jesus and saw him, she knelt at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Those are the exact words of Martha when she met Jesus. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. John 11:35. Jesus wept. We're going to come back to that. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? That's what Mary and Martha said. If he had only been there sooner. Then Jesus, again greatly disturbed, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was lying against it. And Jesus said, take the stone away. Martha, the sister of the dead man, we already know that she's the sister. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, already there's a stench because he has been dead for four days. And it's not, I don't think it's not, it's not that she didn't believe in Jesus at this point. But it's just that there was no mental framework for anybody for what Jesus was about to do. And also this comment lets the reader know Lazarus was good and dead. Like he wasn't just, he hadn't just like fainted. He was good and dead. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus looked upward and said, that's how he prayed he prayed looking upward a lot that's a, a jewish way to pray back in that day father i thank you for having heard me i knew that you always hear me but i have said this for the sake of the crowd standing here so that they may believe that you sent me and when he said this he cried with a loud voice lazarus come out and now comes one of my favorite phrases in the bible the dead man came out. Dead man came out. I could preach a whole sermon on verse 44. His hands and his feet bound up. You know, when Jesus calls us and we respond to his voice, we're like dead in our sins and we're all bound up in our sins. And he's like, what was he doing? Hopping because his feet were all bound up, out. And we come into the light. We come into life. Feet. Bound with strips of cloth, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Jesus wept is embedded in a chapter on death, resurrection, and life. So, what did Jesus' tears mean? People who have studied this verse have noted the strong emotion that gripped Jesus. He was greatly disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. It said in the verse right before he cried. And then he was greatly disturbed again when he comes to the tomb. And most often those Greek words are used of anger, not necessarily grief. Angry tears. Some people think he was angry at the unbelief of Mary and the Jews. Others think he was angry knowing that his own death and his own battle with Satan was coming up. Maybe he was angry at death itself and what death brings to a family. And notice that it was directly after he was invited to the tomb that he cried. At the very least, Jesus' tears are solidarity with a grieving family and an acknowledgment of the pain that death causes have you ever cried at a loss thinking of the how irrevocable that loss is that it's never going to be the same way again that there's a hole and emptiness there that everything has changed Jesus cried even knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus he was deeply affected by the death of his friend and what that death had cost his friends. And think about Mary and Martha watching Jesus, seeing his tears match their own tears. When Deborah's grandma said this verse, she would say it with such conviction that Jesus did something for her from his heart. What was your grandma's name, Deborah? Oh, her name was Alberta. Alberta. You call her Mo? A Mo. Alberta. Mo. Miss Miss Alberta. Her dates are 1904 to 1999. She grew up on a plantation. She would tell her grandchildren about the foods she ate and why: the salt, pork, the chitlins, the oxtails. They ate this food because it was throwaway food, not fit for the big table. It was all they were given. And I think about this woman with a third grade formal education who poured over her Bible. Everybody saw her reading her Bible all the time, Deborah says. And I think about. What she saw in her lifetime as a black woman, that was practically the whole of the 20th century right there. Jesus wept, she said, and she knew that Jesus was with her in her sorrows, in her pain, in her struggle. My husband told me that it was very common in the South in those days for kids to pray those words at a meal time and I immediately in my mind qualified that and I said well in black households but I I wonder if white children prayed that verse as often as black children I'm just curious I would love to know that answer I think about someone else who has gone through a season of great sorrow recently who just told me last week, not knowing that I was going to preach on this verse, that Jesus wept meant a whole lot more to them now that they have found themselves crying more than they ever have in their life before. Jesus wept only has meaning if you have wept. Otherwise, it's easy to brush his tears away. Look at this chapter where tears and death are embedded between a proclamation of resurrection and life, and then a powerful demonstration of physical resurrection of a rotting dead body. And this is where we live most of the time, in between those two, in between the proclamation and the actual resurrection. There are so many tears and so much death in between those two. Look at Jesus, knowing that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Still, he felt it. Still, he was disturbed in spirit and deeply moved. Look at Jesus, the resurrection and the life, who was about to die himself. He had known pain during his life, of course, but his greatest suffering was looming close. It was a swelling, evil shadow that would overcome him and snuff his physical life out. Jesus wept. I have an enduring image that came to me in a long season of prayer. I didn't know if I was gonna tell you this because I'm not gonna get through it. And because it's personal, you know. I was struggling with God over something that lasted years. And this isn't a vision, it's not a biblical thing. I just think it's a reassurance that God gave me. People have all sorts of ways of talking about heaven, they talk about St. Peter at the gates, looking at his list, they talk about white robes, they talk about gold crowns, all sorts of images. But this is the image that came to me. I get to heaven and Jesus is there. And I run to him, I charge him, you know, like a little kid. And I put my head down right when I get to him and I bump into his stomach, that's about what level I am. On Jesus, I put my arms around him, just like a kid, and I'm crying, ugly, ugly. And I say to Jesus, That was so hard. And Jesus says, I know. And he wipes my tears away. Let's bow our heads. wonderful Savior, you do know, you do know all about our tears, our suffering, our pain, our anguish, you know and you care, and you've cried, that means a lot to us when we go through our own suffering. And we wanna thank you for that today. We're going to thank you for your sacrifice for us, for your death for us, for giving yourself willingly to us. So we just wanna thank you. Thank you for your tears. In Jesus' name, amen.